If you have your Bible this morning, you can turn to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, starting in verse 1, and we're going to look at the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. So, why am I dressed like this? Well, uh, me and a group from New City Church ran a half marathon this morning. Um, we had a great time this morning. Uh, we started running at 6.30, by God's grace. We finished uh, around 8.15, 8.30, and right as we finished, the thunder and the lightning and the rain started. Um, if you don't know, a half marathon is 13.1 miles. Um, this, this morning was my eighth uh, official half marathon. I really enjoy doing them. Um, this morning, I ran... Um, a 9.03 per mile pace, and so my final time was an hour and 59 minutes. And if I can indulge my pride for just one moment, this will be the moment, um, and then we'll go back to the scripture. So allow me this moment. This is the second worst uh, race I've ever run this morning. Um, I don't know if you woke up this morning and you felt like when you got outside that the, whole, the atmosphere just felt like a warm, hot blanket of sweat. Um, it was 1,092% humidity out on the course, uh, and I think everybody just, just felt it. And so about two-thirds of the way through you know, the run, it just it felt awful. Um, and that, I think, is a beautiful entry into us even looking into the Scripture this morning and considering what uh, we can learn from running a race. The author of Hebrews wants to teach us exactly that. Um, by comparison, the first time I ever ran a, a half marathon, it was a practice, and it was in my neighborhood. It was in 2017, and at the time, I lived just off of Derry Road in Melbourne, and I really didn't know what I was doing. That first half marathon I ran took uh, well over two and a half hours. Um, it did not go well, to say the least. When I started, I was running about an eight and a half minute mile pace, and by the time I finished uh, mile 13, I was running, quote unquote, running about a 13 and a half, maybe 14 minute pace. And if you're at that place, you're essentially walking with style, or in my case, stumbling and dying and just begging for it to be over. Um, and asking the question, why on earth would I ever do this, and I'll never do it again. Um, I hurt for days after that initial experience, but obviously it got better because I, I haven't stopped. Um, but here's the deal. I had not properly trained. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, uh, and I didn't know what it would take to run the race. Uh, for one thing, I ran uh, essentially around the block just over and over and over again because I was so desperate for a gulp of water. And so every time I came around the block, I was grabbing a drink of water, which is a terrible way to run. And it was just so incredibly unmotivating and demoralizing because I literally was getting nowhere as I ran the same block over and over and over countless times to finally get to that elusive 13-mile place. Um, I also ran alone. I had no one to support me. I had no one to speak into my life, to coach me, to lead me, to encourage me. Um, I stopped constantly, uh, which is the worst thing you can do. You got to keep going, left foot, right foot. But I would stop uh, to drink way too much. And on the flip side, I had no snacks with me. And so I had nothing to fuel or refuel me. And so I was very much doing it on my own. And as we'll see this morning, that is a beautiful picture of what it means when we run on our own strength without Christ, we will dry up, we will get hungry, and it will not work. So it's very much the same in our, in our following of Jesus, our discipleship 
under Jesus, whether it be Bible study or prayer or fighting sin in our lives or facing the challenges or even the persecution uh, of this life, that we've got to run by the power of Jesus. We've got to run the race looking to Jesus, says Hebrews chapter 12. So let's look now at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, that is so incredibly instrumental in considering our daily run with Jesus. Scripture says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross." despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would illuminate your word before us. We thank you that your word is perfect. It is our authority, and we submit ourselves to you and to your word. Lord, would you encourage us, teach us how to endure, to run the race, and Lord, most of all, to focus on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, those among us who are moving slow, who are struggling, who are hurting in so many different ways. Lord, you love us, you care. Lord, would you encourage us, strengthen us by your love this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Four applications from this passage this morning for how to run the race following Jesus. Number one, and these come right out of these four verses. Number one, run together with a great cloud of witnesses. See, when you run alone, as I mentioned a moment ago, you, you slow down. You run sporadically and you make excuses and you quit early. Um, when you run with others, you maintain more consistency. You will run faster, you will enjoy it more, and you will be less vulnerable to giving up. And you carry, in, in a very real sense, one another's burdens. Uh, I am way more motivated to run 13.1 miles when there are 3,000 other people who are there, all suited up, ready to go, and they have the same vision and mission in mind, and they're excited to run, way more so than when I ran around the block by myself. Right, you can imagine the difference there. Um, I get so excited for race day that usually I will go to bed the night before, and I will just lay awake in bed the whole night and run the race the next morning without having slept just because I'm so excited. And part of that excitement is knowing that we're all going to run together. The scripture says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Um, if you know anything about running, and if you don't, that's fine too, but Eliud Kipchaga has held the world record for the full marathon, right, 26.2 miles, not 13.1 miles, and his record that he established in 2018 is two hours, one minute, 39 seconds. A L- little faster than me, a little bit. Um, that is essentially a four and a half minute mile pace for 26.2 miles. The guy is incredible. He's amazing. He's a great cloud. 
and I would love to, to run with him as a witness, right? So if I knew Elliot was coming this morning, I would be extra pumped to run just to be inspired by, to see somebody who is the best of the best. I want to go run with that guy or, or with that group of people who can do those sorts of things. So who then in the scripture is our great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews and the author of Hebrews wants to encourage us that if we run with these people, it's going to help us follow hard after Jesus. Well, in order to understand Hebrews 12.1, we have to go back to the previous chapter, which is Hebrews 11, which is an extremely famous passage and is remembered as essentially the hall of faith, the hall of faith. So uh, just to highlight a little bit of Hebrews chapter 11, this is verse 1 and verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11 that's going to kick us off with this idea of faith together. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. Picking up in verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We could preach a whole other sermon. We could spend all day in that passage. Then chapter 11 says, uh, it tells us faith stories of different biblical heroes. Now these are average Joes, men and women just like us, but they're also heroic in their faith. And so it tells us about Abel and Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. And then it says this. This is verses 32 through 34, still in Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. That's a great cloud of witnesses. And the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, if they can do it, so can you. They weren't perfect. They sinned and made mistakes just like you. But through faith in Jesus, even in the Old Testament, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, they did incredible things. So run the race with them. But he's not ending there, right? Hebrews 12 was written very soon after Jesus lived, died, and rose again from the dead. So as we think about ourselves now, We have the the 12 apostles to remember the way that they ran. We have early church martyrs to to remember the way that they ran. We have the great preachers of old. We have the reformers. We have missionaries presently. We have the faithful, persecuted church of Jesus Christ scattered all over the world, even today, that we can see these people are running hard after Jesus. And if they can do it by God's grace, so can I. And when I see others... People that you see in your life, that you see them and you go, man, they love Jesus. They're not perfect. It's by God's grace and it's through faith, but they are following hard after Jesus. It makes you go, I want to do that too. When somebody runs a little bit faster than me, it makes me want to catch up to them. It encourages me and it is the same here from the scripture. You think of those who have already passed away, who have gone ahead, maybe it was a faithful parent or a faithful grandparent, somebody that you served with in another church or or, or served with through life that you saw them and you remember with joy their faith. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing here. Be encouraged by those fellow believers. But here's the other subtle nuance to what is taking place when the Bible says, run with the great cloud of witnesses. You and I need the church. Capital C, church. 
You and I need New City Church, lowercase c, if, if you will, meaning the great cloud of witnesses still applies today. And what the world will tell you, uh, though very popular, but equally deceptive, is it's just me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. But this scripture flies in the face and crushes that idea. All right, we live in a world in particular right now where people are dying of isolation. Jesus called the church to be the church. We need to continue to be the body of Christ. And here he says to run together with the body of Christ. I need, you need, we need brothers and sisters in Christ who will help us persistently run the race even when it's 157% humidity, even when it's mile 12 and you don't want to go on anymore. We need fellow brothers and sisters who will help us here worship Christ and grow together in discipleship and serve here in the church and reach out and share the good news of the gospel with other people. We need fellow believers who will carry our burdens, who will cheer us on, keep us accountable, lead by example, coach and, and disciple us, pray with us, Encourage us in our fight against sin and encourage one another to be on mission, to witness, to be a part of this great cloud of witnesses, meaning sharing the good news of the gospel by together focusing our eyes on Jesus. Number one, great cloud of witnesses. Number two, run by throwing off the weight and the sin. Uh, The NIV, I love the way that it translates it here, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay, so the first idea, lay aside the weight or or lay aside the hindrance. So when I ran this morning, I did not strap on a a 50-pound bag of sand to aid me in my journey across the 13 miles, right? I did not tie on a boat anchor to support me and encourage me in my running this morning, though I will tell you that the humidity felt about like that. Um, I didn't see anyone else tie on a 50-pound bag of sand either. Instead, right, we chose to clothe ourselves in as little, essentially, as possible. Light clothing, shoes that were comfortable and will help us run, to have a water bottle of some sort strapped to a back or an arm or a hand. Um, Music, for me, worship music, to encourage me along the way. I was equipped, and I had thrown off the things that were going to distract. So we eliminated everything that was going to hinder us. Excuse me. When the Bible says throw off everything that hinders, what it means is, is those things that are not necessarily a sin, but you know in your life it could be a sin and it absolutely becomes a distraction. It hinders you from what you should be doing. It hinders you from the mission of Jesus Christ and our focus on Him. So what does that look like? Something that could slow us down in running the race. This could be an unwise relationship. Is it wrong? No, not necessarily. But you know when I'm with that person, my eyes wander from Jesus. It could be a hobby. Hobbies are great. But is it, is it a distraction? It could be some sort of bad habit. It could be a literal tempting location. It can be an addicting substance. It can be a stock portfolio that you just can't stop paying attention to and your eyes go to that rather than to Jesus. 
for most of us, if we're honest, it's going to be a TV show, a video game, wasted time on a cell phone, or the countless number of apps that accomplish nothing. So many things. Uh, It could be a form of entertainment that, again, on its own may not be sinful, but you know for you it needs to be eliminated so that you can be unhindered in running the race for Jesus. So, for example, I love chocolate cake. It's great. But on mile number six, I didn't stop, put down six slices of chocolate cake, and then attempt to keep running. It would hinder me. It's not a sin. It's just a bad idea. Don't do that, by the way. If you're thinking about going out, don't do that. Then it says this, throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Many of you will be familiar with the sundew plant, or what I'm more familiar with is is the Venus flytrap, right? You've heard of these things? A fly will land on these sweet-tasting leaves, and instantly sharp finger-like hairs touch the fly's wings and pull it into a sticky grasp. And the fly will initially struggle hard, as all of us will tend to do, try to escape, but the more that it struggles, the more that it gets entangled. Soon the fly relaxes and returns to happily feasting on the tasty little leaf, and the fly thinks to itself, self, this could be worse. I can get out of this later. Meanwhile, the leaf closes in like a fist, and two hours later, all that will be left of that fly is the outer skin, because the little plant has sucked everything, including the life of this fly, out. So goes sin. So goes addiction. So goes disobeying the word of God. And that can be offensive, but the truth is offensive. And the truth sets us free from such a a scenario as becoming the fly. And what I want us to think about here is is the command here is not to gently push back on the Venus flytrap. Quite the opposite. The command here in Scripture is to make war on the sin in your life because all sin outside of the grace of Jesus leads to death. That's a sobering but an important reality. The Bible says make war. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, the verse before our call to worship this morning says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you know anything about Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 is an amazing chapter that is filled with life in the Spirit about being heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the future glory that we're going to see and experience in heaven and God's everlasting love that nothing can separate us from him, his love. And yet here in Romans 8.13, it's talking about putting to death the sin that so easily entangles. One of my favorite songs to listen to as I'm out doing my run short or, or long is the song Make War. It's a rap song by a guy named Tadashi. He, he wrote it about 10 years ago. And at the beginning of the song, he plays an intro from a John Piper sermon. And I hear the, the, the words of Piper and I hear the lyrics of the song and it encourages me as I run, as I think about what this means for my life. So John Piper says this at the beginning of the song, I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addictions and their shortcomings, and I see so little war. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? Make war, says John Piper. 
He's on to something. So we think about the sin that so easily entangles sensuality, lust, jealousy, lying, anger, envy, gluttony, a judgmental spirit, laziness, hatred, pride, bitterness, selfishness, pornography, alcoholism, drugs. All of these things are that trap. And I want to be very clear here. I want to speak to the men in our church uh, at this exact moment. This, this scripture always applies to every single person, but men, especially fathers, husbands, your world says deal with these things by being passive. Your world encourages you to get caught up in the hindrances and the weights and the wasted time of this life and to be apathetic towards sin. Toxic masculinity is this. Toxic masculinity is refusing to lead, to love, to encourage, to shepherd your wife and your children, your family. And it is the, the willingness to get caught up in wastes of time rather than loving your family by the grace of Jesus alone. But husbands and fathers, we are called to this work. And in so doing, we encourage our wives and our children Amen? Husbands, we've got to step out and lead. Fathers, we've got to step out and lead in this specific area. Number three, the Bible goes on. Run with endurance the race that God has marked out. Run with endurance the race God has marked out. Hey, running is a discipline, and it is a discipline that has taught me a lot about spiritual discipline or spiritual uh, endurance. The word endurance in Greek is hupomone. Hupomone happens 19 times in the New Testament, and it means things like steadfastness, constancy, perseverance through trials, perseverance through suffering. That's what endurance is. So Jesus actually gives us this idea, among other places, in the parable of the sower. And if you remember the, the parable of the sower, Jesus says that there's seed that is cast in four different places, and three of the four places that his seed, the word of truth, is cast, it dries up and it blows away. It doesn't survive. But the fourth is this, Luke chapter 8, verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those who, with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Persevering endurance. It's that same encouragement that Jesus is giving us. And here's the idea. Rarely do easy things hurt, right? Rarely do easy things accomplish anything. Rarely do easy things mean anything. Good things are almost always hard things that require endurance. So especially today, about mile nine, mile 10 out of 13 I'm like, why on earth did I do this? Every time there is that thought that creeps in because I'm so far past the beginning where it was fun and everybody was there and there was no sweat yet. And the end, the finishing of the race just feels so far away. I'm exhausted. And what Jesus is saying here is there is a way to endure when we want to quit. There is a way to endure when we emotionally, spiritually, even physically, when we hurt. In the race of life following Christ, 
you are going to face, if we can extend the metaphor, you're going to face steep mountains. You're going to face those moments. We live in a broken world and we look forward to home with Jesus in heaven one day. But while you are here, you will face mountains and valleys. For us this morning, it was causeways. We had to run over the O'Galley Causeway, and then we had to run over the 192 Causeway. And as I'm about two-thirds of the way up, I want to give up. Brothers and sisters, there will be days when you go, I don't want to open the Word of God. I don't want to talk to Jesus today. I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm tired, I'm lazy, I'm busy. There's so many things that I need to do or want to do, and I don't want to go to the well that will fill me up with living water. I don't want to eat from the bread of life that will give me the strength and the energy that I need. I don't want to look to Jesus. But if we do not endure by running to Jesus, by looking exclusively to him for our hope and our strength, we will give up. We'll turn into those other three seeds that Jesus was talking about in his story. There is true joy in spiritual discipline in following Jesus. Whether that be your own personal time of worship or that gathering here in corporate worship together as the family of God, time telling Jesus what's going on in your life in prayer and hearing from him and his word, memorizing, fixating on the word of God so that you can store it in your heart for when you face those valleys. Bible study or theological study, being a part of a city group or a discipleship group here at our church, serving others inside and outside the church and being an evangelist who is on mission, a witness. I'll tell you this, on my runs, when I stop paying attention to the worship music that is cranked in my ears, I stop rehearsing the gospel in my own life. That's a phrase that's been helpful to me, rehearsing the gospel in my own life. I stop listening, I stop rehearsing the gospel, and immediately what happens is I start rehearsing all the problems in my life. I start rehearsing all the excuses. I start rehearsing all the bitterness and the excuses that I can make up to justify why I don't trust Jesus and his ability to carry me through anymore. I love listening. I love worshiping as I run. One of my favorite songs, of course, is the Newsboys. How could it not be from the Newsboys? But Newsboys, 2006, they wrote a song called Stay Strong. It is the perfect song to run to, but as I run, it speaks to me about my soul. It speaks to me about my life. This is a a snapshot of the lyrics. This is in the bridge part, middle of the song. Get up. I can do that. Get up. There's further to go. Get up. There's more to be done. Get up. This witness is sure. Get up. This race can be won. Chorus, stay strong, you are not lost. Come on and fix your eyes ahead. Our Father's dawn will light our day. Come on and stay strong. His grip is sure and his patience still endures. There'll be no letting go today. No way. The power of this song is the fact that it is God's love for you that is empowering you to endure. This is not do-it-yourself theology. This is Jesus has already done it for you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, everything that you need, therefore, stay strong. 
Even when temptation is, is powerful, even when attacks come, stay strong. I run with this song in particular every time I run, short runs or, or long runs. And if you pass me on the street, which you will on Emerson all the time, especially in the morning, I will be at the end of my run and I am exhausted and I don't want to run anymore and I cannot help but throw my hands up and I look like a fool as people are driving past me. I, I put my hands up in worship, which is not the best way to run. But it feels so good just to worship the Lord and remember the things that I have faced this year, which have been many, the things that you as a church, that we as a world have faced this year, that I say, by Jesus' grace in my life, I'm going to stay strong. There will be tears running down my eyes sometimes as I am running and praising him. And it's not ultimately about getting out and running. It is about saying, Lord Jesus, I will run the race to follow you. I will endure no matter what because you have endured for me. And it's for all of us. That's why it says, each one, we all have our own course. It's not the same course, ultimately, but God's going to put us on our own map, our own course that he has lovingly written. He has lovingly written your story, even the parts that you don't like. He has sovereignly written the race that you are called to run. And that's an encouragement. Sometimes it makes us angry, but that's an encouragement that he has written your race. And each of us, by the power of Jesus, can finish the race that is marked out for us. Through the sweat, through the tears, through all the pain, we can keep running. And it doesn't matter whether you finish first or last. It's that by God's grace that we all finish. It's not for those who will give up or flame out or walk off the course after 400 meters. It's a long race. It's 13 miles. It's for faithful plotters. It's for the mundane faithfulness. It's daily left foot in front of the right foot. And just to be clear, this verse ends by telling us exactly how we do that. Number four, finally, run by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's look again. This is our passage. This is verses two through four. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Go to the end of that first, verses three and four there. They essentially restate our race. Endure persecution. Endure your war against sin in your own life is what it says again in verse three and verse four. The Bible throughout talks about trials and temptations. This is exactly what's happening here. Trials and temptations. The Bible says that our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the solution, it says, is consider him who had endurance in his hostility from sinners. Consider Jesus. Christians in America, for the better part of 250 years, we have gotten time off. We have not had to face persecution. I believe, I am not a prophet, but I believe the times are changing and I believe that God will use it to refine his church and bring glory to himself. And so Hebrews chapter 12 is all the more applicable. Our endurance is found in focusing on the fact that Jesus has already faced evil men who attacked him, who lied about him, who crucified him for sins that he did not commit and Jesus went to the cross willingly and today he is alive. He rose from the dead. He is king of kings forever. More. And he went 
to the cross, not because they put him there. He went to the cross to save you. He went to the cross to save us. And then it says, consider that you have not yet shed your own blood in the war against sin. This is an encouragement to fight hard against sin, but ultimately what it's saying is there is one who has shed his own blood to defeat sin, to conquer sin. When he went to the cross, he shed his own blood for you so that you would not have to die. There is a way. There is only one way. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and his name is Jesus. And so it says, consider him. If you've not experienced a personal relationship with Jesus, then here it is saying he is the way to salvation, the only way. So it says, look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Think about what those words mean. Jesus is the founder of our faith. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. Here's rule number one of distance running. As you're running, as you're getting tired, don't look down. The more that you are staring at the ground, your, your body actually becomes misaligned and bad things happen, but you're also just focusing here. You're supposed to look up. When you run, especially long distance, look up. The Bible is saying exactly that. Look up to Jesus when you run. Don't stare at the ground. Don't stare at your problems. Don't stare at your list of complaints and grievances. Stare at Jesus. Look up to him. Hebrews chapter 11 showed us people of faith to encourage us in our own race. And Hebrews chapter 12 makes it clear that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He loves you. He loves you. He loved you. He chose you. When you had no interest in him. He saved you and you did and I did nothing. He wrote faith into our hearts so that we can receive him by faith. He's the author of our faith and he by the Holy Spirit continues to perfect us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ to the day that we go home to be with him in heaven and finish our race. And we can only run the race by his perfect life, death, and resurrection on our behalf, by grace alone, through faith alone. The power to throw off sin and hindrances our life is Christ. The power to run with endurance is Christ. The power to finish the race is Christ. And then it says, for the joy set before him. What exactly is joyful for Jesus about being nailed to a cross and dying? And going to hell in our place. What exactly is joyful about that? Well, here's what's joyful about it. He went to pay the penalty that we owed for our sin. It was a joy set before him to endure the hostility, to endure the shame, to endure the death, because he knew that he would save you. It was a joy to persevere because by his death, he was earning your life. And I, it was a joy because he knew where he was going. The Bible says where he is now, King of kings, Lord of lords, seated on a throne. And so for those reasons, it was joy. My favorite running story of all time, and maybe you've heard this before, this is, is Dick and Rick Hoyt. Dick and Rick Hoyt, father and son. Rick was born without the ability to walk or talk. Severe uh, cerebral palsy. The doctors, before uh, Rick was born, told mom and dad, he's going to be a vegetable, he's going to be a nothing, abort him, get rid of him. Well, mom and dad didn't do that. 
And they decided at the very beginning to love their son who God had given them. I don't know that they're believers. I'm just telling you, God gave them Rick. At age 15, with a special touchpad computer, Rick expressed that he wanted to run a race, a five-mile race there in the local area. Well, obviously, Rick did not have the ability at all to run that race, but he talked to his dad through the computer, and having never run a race in his life, Dick said, I'll do it. And dad, Dick, pushed his son, Rick, for five miles through that race. They retired in 2013, having run over 1,000 races together. They covered over 3,800 miles together doing these races, um, a variety of triathlons, biking, swimming, running. You can just think through the challenge there. They completed 31 Boston marathons together. I love this tagline that explains their relationship. Listen carefully. Rick couldn't compete without his dad. Dick wouldn't compete without his son. Rick couldn't compete without his dad. Dick wouldn't compete without his son because he loves his son, because of the joy set before him. That is the joy with which Father, Son, and Holy Spirit view you. He would not do it without you. You couldn't do anything. He wanted you anyway. I love that picture. He finished the race so that we could finish ours following him. Jesus' faithfulness made a way for us to be faithful. Jesus' endurance made a way for us to endure. He became king so that he could give us a crown as well. Our prize is Jesus. Jesus' prize is us. Um, I love finishing the race. It's an amazing moment. It was a great moment this morning when you hit 13.1 and you can see there's people and there's the big banner and there's the end. I love finishing the race. I never walk through. I always sprint at the end. And I I wish as I was doing it that I had sprinted during the first 13 the way that I sprint there at the end, but I always sprint because there's tremendous joy in finishing the race. And I think that, that what I experience, what you can experience as you finish the race is just a teeny tiny taste of what it's gonna look like one day When we close our eyes in death and immediately open them and see Jesus, see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a way that we never could here in this broken world, and and God looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Paul says this, last verse, 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen and amen. Let's pray.